0: Good evening, and welcome to Midnight Audio Theatre, the weekly show where we feature new and original audio dramas, be they adventure, mystery, sci-fi, or comedy. I'm your host, Kathy Ranella. Well, hello and welcome, dear listeners. We are excited to be sharing three terrific tales from friends both old and new. We'll be kicking things off with a dose of horror from Folklore, followed by the dark humor of Death by Dying. And then... Wrapping things up with a unique tale from its all-been-done radio hour. A heads up, tonight's show is rated PG-13 for horror elements and suggestive content. Listener discretion is advised. First up, Folk's allure. Longtime listeners of MAT will recognize the Tin Can Audio production group from their series Middle Below. As a joint work between In the Works Productions and Tin Can Audio, Folkslore explores queer horror without the usual queerphobic tropes. In a series of stories set above the subway lines of Glasgow's inner city, each story seems to build on the next and leaves us wondering where it will lead to in the next installment. There's still more to say about Folkslore, but we are eager to jump into the stories tonight. So let's get things started with this tale entitled Seance.
1: Enjoy. Welcome to Folkslore. Folkslore is a queer horror podcast written by queers for queers. There are no overarching content warnings for this episode. However, we do include detailed content warnings with timestamps in our show notes. Please take care of yourself. Now, let us begin.
2: Station on Glasgow's underground system. The subway trains go about their daily business, carrying the citizens of Glasgow around the city. A duty they've discharged faithfully since 1896. Built as a cable-hauled railway in the reign of Queen Victoria, apart from electrification, it's changed little in nearly 80 years of service. And it has a very special place in the hearts of the people of Glasgow.
3: Dodger, you ready? Lighting good? Uh, sure.
0: Danny, ready? Shoot away. And one, two.
1: Action. Hello, 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 all aboard Ghost Patrollers. Welcome to this extra special edition of Folklore. This gem of an episode is brought to you from the derelict and desolate depths of Glasgow's Clockwork Orange. But not the familiar subway trains or the freshly tiled underground stations. No, tonight we explore the Old Inner. A stop in the south side of the city that remains to this day unused and unfinished. And as if that wasn't enough, joining us on this trip into the uncanny is Glasgow Ghoul's very own Danny Dark Danny. How are you feeling? I'm feeling like this trip might prove itself useful.
4: Exposed as the brick is this tunnel's connection to something ancient, eldritch, unearthly. Its presence breathing against the back of my neck. I'm feeling... my ears hooked to the ceiling. My eyes dry from vigilant lids. I'm on edge-dodger. And that's as common as a genuine spectre these
1: days. You've certainly done your homework on this place. Well, on that note, let's talk about where we are. Colloquially known as the Old Inner, dug out in the late 19th century, never finished, some say. No one knows who laid the tracks, but so they run today, either side of the central walkway. Any markings long worn like the tiles, the concrete and the tunnels themselves that, from here, at least seem to narrow just out of view. What was that? I thought...
4: Yeah? Sorry, I I thought I heard something. But it must be from the road outside. Alright. Cut?
0: Uh, nah, keep rolling. Uh, one, two...
1: So, Danny, the old dinner has some awesome history. Indeed.
4: Over the past hundred years, many people have attested to this platform bustling with faceless bodies. Of course, not noticed until the doors open, and the swell barges you onto a carriage, the door closes, and the two-minute journey to the next station, well, it takes
1: hours. Sometimes days. On top of that, and by that I mean here, there's a wonderfully dreadful story about the fact today that one sat above the stop. According to accounts from the time, the factory was run by a wicked manager in love with one of his workers. James Granger supposedly wrote love letters to an apprentice on the tools. After years of their covert trust, both men disappeared without a trace. Now that's a place I'd love to visit, but unfortunately the factory was demolished by the usual property developers that always end up ruining the spookiest places.
4: Although, if the internet is to be believed, the block of flats built above our heads may hold a shadow of its dark past and prime other side location. I've read a Reddit post from earlier this year. A delivery person making the rounds a truly terrifying tale. But one for another day, I feel.
1: Yes. And on that note, why don't we get down to why we are all here? Indeed.
2: You've
3: been on the Glasgow
1: For those of you who don't subscribe to Glasgow Ghouls. Toll the
4: bell and go subscribe at Glasgow Ghouls.
1: Yes, absolutely But for those of you unfamiliar with Danny's work They are an expert channeler of spirits And here today they'll be talking to all those Who came into the subway to find their way home But never made it out
4: It's important to note that It is just as likely that the reason for these abnormalities is a spirit taking up residence here. I'd much rather speak to the denizen of this place as opposed to unwelcome intruders. And to begin the process, I'm going to read the energy in the room. Lex, might you join us?
3: Uh, sure.
4: Lovely. I'll do one reading for each of you, and then one for the room. This deck is standard Major Arcana, but selected with care for this space. It has in the past connected me to more steadfast, strong, urban, built-up weathered souls. Whether that is useful for you two remains to be seen, but it should certainly connect us to those left in this subway. Who's first? Dodger? Sure. Shuffle, then, when you're ready, pick a single card. The sun. That's as positive as it gets. That said, yours is reversed, so imagine accomplishment as radiant as your card, diminished by indecision or impermanence. No unpreparedness. Your light is there, but you cannot recognize it. It shines wrong. You can cause it and not enjoy it or deny it and never see it. You weren't ready to
1: finish what you started.
4: Ooh. Chills. Lex. Shuffle and pick. The Hierophant. Upright. Righteous. In time, you'll see true. Even if, for now, you can be fooled. There is a spirit guiding you. You know it. You feel it. But you can't grasp it until you accept it. What was that? You're reading.
0: Uh, no, not you. I just heard something.
1: You good?
4: Accepted next. Just give me a sec. A uh, cup. And one, two.
1: Sorry for the abrupt cut there, ghost patrollers. We were checking in on everyone and checking out the subways some more. We can confirm, at least in body, we are all alone. Now, before we make contact with whatever lives or minds reside in this fascinating setting, Danny, are you able to get a read on how they're feeling?
4: Pick one. Me? Yes. Middle right. We discard it. Lex? Uh, Left. We discard left. I'm drawn to the middle left, so the room is left with right. The world. Upright. Accomplishment and satisfaction. A wholeness and balanced grandeur. Fulfilled to the brim from destiny's goblet, a closed, sustainable system of success, a happiness, anticipation. This place is ready to relate to us. I ask you, in your good spirits, to say your piece. Lex, come closer. They will contact us through the board.
1: Fantastic, I'm so glad we brought along someone so attuned. Danny, could you explain how this board will help us commune? Whoever we
4: are speaking to will communicate through this planchette. Fantastic.
1: Hello? W-E-L-C-O-M-E?
4: Say your peace and be at peace.
1: T-H-A-N-K D-E-E-P K-E-E-P A-L- Alive C-O-N-C Concrete and Steel Grow Sparks and parts Feed I grew I fed Dig Dig Pour Pour Place brick mortar Place brick Mortar. Roof. Hold. Door. Dodger, are you okay? Scraping metal, bending backs, cracks, cracks, cracks. Power, heat, mortar, steel, burn, furnace. Held red ferrous, smelt, quiet. Dodger, the planchet's quiet. Smashed glass, diamond, quiet. Dodger. Moss thistle ivy sting acclimate cast encase barricade aggravate rat maze isolate break elevator stairs round and round thunder eyes light a light buzzer muffled come over come over knock drop drip drop rift stop wailing stop wailing stop Dodger! Lex, what is happening? Something under the static. Lex, is this a setup? Something between the platforms. No! Dodger, what the f? Something in the air sticking to your clothes. I'm out. Dodger, snap out! Something's here, something's here. All aboard, all aboard! Dodger! Out, out, out!
0: Dodger, come back! Don't go down there!
4: Door run Disturbance under us. Stay, stay, go run, religion. run, religion. run, 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 Three teenagers seemingly holding a seance. They may have stirred up something big. Dust rains from the ceilings and hits the ground. Inquisitive little sh**. Whatever they did, it's still happening. Taking the footage for evidence. Hello? Hello?
2: There's Party Cross and Sestock Hill Heat and Mertless the street. George's Cross and Govan cross, cross, where all the people meet. West Street Shields, Road, the train goes round and run ra- around. Ra- You've never lived that you before. <laughs> black,
1: black, black, black. Folklore is an In the Works and Tenkan audio co production supported by Creative Scotland. Seance was written by Ross McFarlane, he him. Dodger was played by Ross McFarlane. Danny by Bibi June, they them. And Lex by Sid Briscoe, he him. The Disgruntled Investigator was played by Bibi June. Folkslore sound design is by David Devereaux, he they. Episode art by J.M. Fife, they them. With graphic design by Bibi June. Stay in touch with all things Folklore by following Folklore Pod on Twitter. Support us by subscribing to Folklore, rating the podcast online, and telling your friends. That was Seance, a story from Folklore,
0: produced by Tin Can Audio and In the Works Productions. To stay in the know on all things Folklore, go to Twitter with at Tin Can Audio and Folklore Pod. Coming up next, It is the Death by Dying podcast, where we follow the tales and records of a lone obituary writer in Crestfall, Idaho, who finds himself investigating many of the strange and mysterious deaths around town. In this fictional locale that is likely just north of Uncanny Valley and Nightvale, things are already a bit out of the ordinary, making these deaths stand out even more so. Created by the dynamic duo of Evan Gulak and Nico Jarentis, Death by Dying blends humor and tragedy with a focus on making talks about loss and grief a bit easier and better acknowledged. We will also talk more about Death by Dying in the coming weeks, but it's about time we get back to listening so you can hear the show for itself. This is Death by Dying, Episode 1 Wyatt Died. Enjoy.
5: Hello. I am the obituary writer of this lovely town of Crestfall, Idaho. And this is Death by Dying. Wyatt Hudson, 47, died late Sunday evening as the stars began to fill the black abyss that is the sky. Wyatt, as everyone most certainly knows, was the local farmer of blue stem grass in the farmlands of Crestfall. Wyatt was basically everyone's favorite person on the planet. I'm not kidding. I never joke, except when I do. But in this instance, I do not. In the month of April alone, Wyatt revived 35 kittens from the precipice of death. He skydived with dolphins. He bowled overhand. He saved a boy from perishing in a recent mudstorm. He baked everyone cookies in town every time someone died, which gradually made the townsfolk wish more people would start dying off. Mrs. Shambles' dog caught on fire again, and Wyatt extinguished the flames valiantly by swinging the dog around over his head. The dog later developed telekinetic powers. Wyatt recycles. Yes, Wyatt Hudson was freaking awesome. The coroner is missing, so there was no official autopsy of the charming farmer, but we're all pretty sure we know what a gunshot looks like. It looks like a giant hole in his stomach, from which blood and other viscous things have egressed. According to Wyatt's wife, Bernard, the story goes something like this. They had been driving up the nameless dirt road that leads to their ramshackled home. Dust was launched into the air by their tires, leaving a cloud of dirt mist behind them. They were returning from the all-you-can-eat buffet at the Carlson and Carlson's Delicious Pastry Shop, where the Carlson served delicious pastries. On Sunday nights, they serve bottomless slices of every pie imaginable— rhubarb, chicken pot, mince, and cherry. They exited their vehicle, gravel crunching beneath their feet. And that's when they heard the rustling from the field of overly tall blue stem grass. From the crops emerged the local wild man, a feral man who lived in the dark woods, surviving on a diet of mud and sticks. He also happened to work part-time as a stock manager at the Bushen Hobby downtown, where Crestfallen's get all of their bushes and most of their hobbies. But for the most part, he was utterly deranged. In any case, he emerged from the blue-stem grass in an ecstatic fervor and promptly shot Wyatt in the stomach with a rusty revolver before cartwheeling away with surprising speed and agility. Case closed. Bernard's story was undeniably airtight. The pie is verifiably bottomless. And it is delicious. The crestfallen wild man was found later the next day and was arrested with no resistance. The wild man saying with complete clarity, Yeah, I figured. Husband, father, and life of the proverbial party. White Hudson was a good man. Some men are great, but few can be considered good. Truly good. That title goes to a special few. He was generous, kind-hearted, and danced like nobody was watching. He is survived by his wife, Bernard, and their three kids, Denise, Chester, and Wallace. To clarify, Denise, Chester, and Wallace are goats. And now, the condolences. The Carlson send their condolences. They say... In the mood for something delicious? Look no further than Carlson and Carlson's Delicious Pastry Shop, where you'll find the most flaky, fluffy, buttery goodness baked into a baked good sent straight from the heavens. Thank you, Carlson family. The Bush and Hobby also sends their condolences. They say, need bushes? You got it. Need a hobby? You... kind of got it. You can probably find it here. We're not sure. There are so many hobbies these days, it's hard to keep track of. If you collect stamps, you might walk away disappointed. We have them, it's just, you collect stamps. We also apologize for employing the deranged wild man who allegedly murdered Wyatt Hudson. That's probably how he bought the gun in the first place. Yeah, sorry about that. Collect guns? We got them. Condolences also brought to you by the local butcher. He says, Thank you for the goats. I'm sure if anyone were to grind his precious goats into slabs of delicious meat, Wyatt would have wanted you to be the one to do it. On behalf of the Hudson family, I thank you. Did I say case closed? My mistake, that was misleading. Because what is a tale about a kind, flawless farmer without a woeful twist? Past the Hudson's ramshackled home, past the shed and stable, over yonder through the fields, is an abandoned silo. While I was innocently snooping around the Hudson's property without their permission, I discovered the door to the silo was padlocked. I thought this odd, so I climbed the rungs running vertically up the silo until I reached the roof through which there was a small opening. Below, at the very bottom of the empty silo, was a man. He looked up at me weakly, muttering with all the energy he had left. A single phrase. Please don't hurt me. Naturally, before alerting the authorities, I got an exclusive interview with the trapped man. Just for you, oh curious readers. Excuse me, sir. Are
6: are you okay? Could be better. Could be better if I'm gonna be honest. Do you have a phone?
5: No, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have one on me.
6: Do you know where the police station is?
5: The police are highly ineffective in Crestfall.
6: I don't really know any other emergency services. Get the firemen. Get the firemen. Wyatt has imprisoned me here and it's just terrible, okay?
5: Wyatt was keeping you imprisoned here?
6: Oh yeah. Many years. I can assume cuz I don't I don't really remember anything.
5: Wyatt was one of the most cherished men in Crestfall.
6: <laughs> uh, Wyatt was the ugliest Man alive. I mean that with his soul, okay? You can't imagine the things he used to do to me. You want to hear? It's pretty bad.
5: Yes, g- go on.
6: He'd take rats, and he'd bundle them up with socks, and he'd slap me in the face day in and day out. He used to pull on a bag of balloons, and he'd pull a balloon out, and he'd blow it up and he'd take a needle and he'd taunt me with popping the balloon. One time I woke up and he was already opening my eyes and when I tried to blink the salt out of them, he wouldn't let me. One day, I was just minding my own business and he just came over and he said, I smelled bad, what can I do about it? One time I woke up and he was, do I have to say it? Fine, I will. He brought a giant china doll down, and he set it up to stare at me. It's very frightening, it's right over there. He put a ladder in the silo, but he chained my feet to the floor, and he'd just go up and down it
5: the whole day. Do you have any idea why, why it would be keeping you here?
6: You see, karma is a weird concept. When you do enough good, you gotta do an equal amount of evil to reach that sweet, sweet, true neutral spot. And you know, you might have seen his good side, but I'm the bad side.
5: What about Wyatt's wife, Bernard?
6: Oh, Bernard. Who I have never met, and I am not expecting to meet any time soon. But she sounds like a lovely woman. The loveliest woman ever.
5: Do you remember your name?
6: See, that's where we get to some complications, because I don't remember anything, really. I'm gonna call you Gert. Gert's not the best name. Anything else?
5: Gert, do you remember anything about who you were?
6: Well, if I could guess at anything, I was a man that didn't deserve the name Gert.
5: That's okay, Gert.
6: Please, Wyatt is an evil man. You have to tell people of this. He cannot have such a good legacy attached to such a bad guy.
5: I will certainly do that, and I will, I will, I will find someone to get you out of this silo. I, I shall return for you.
6: Wonderful, beautiful. Okay, you're a beautiful man. Thank you, Gert. I don't like Gert. I don't
5: like that. Goodbye, Gert.
6: Didn't have to keep calling me Gert, you know.
5: I was confused. How could it be that Wyatt Hudson was the most cherished man in Crestfall? and yet was a kidnapper and torturer in his free time. This couldn't be, and yet there it was. On my way back into town, the Kragmire Cannon was fired, signaling the death of yet another beloved resident of Crestfall. I counted to five, and then ducked. The cannon hasn't been moved since the Civil War, and, well, the cannonballs have to go somewhere, so they all land in Wyatt Hudson's field. All around me, like rocks in a quarry, were a decade's worth of cannonballs, some deteriorating from age. Over the years, they had created a clean-cut clearing in the middle of Wyatt's field. And so life goes on, just as death does. The farmer's market was in full swing in the town square. Fruits and vegetables and grains of all kinds, pastries and pies, goat meat, etc. There was Geraldine Portage, who sold unpickled pickles, which she refused to call cucumbers. There was Elder Isaiah Goodwin, a deacon at the Church of Right Here Right Now, who was passing out pamphlets on barn animals within scriptures. For those so inclined, Brindle Blackwell sold exactly one apricot a week, placing it at the exact center of her table. When the farmer's market opens, everyone rushes to her booth, eager to be the one to claim the sole apricot, because when it's gone, it's gone and Brindle Blackwell closes up shop. Rumor has it her apricots grant eternal life, but considering the sheer amount of deaths that have been occurring in Crestfall lately, I think it's safe to say that that myth has been debunked. George A. Spudiker was a potato farmer and a well-known bootlegger. Every year, he produces the most amazing potatoes that resemble famous people throughout history. Elvis, Alexander the Great, the white man's historically inaccurate depiction of Jesus, Despite all of this fierce competition, Wyatt's blue stem grass still wins out every week. No one is quite sure what you're supposed to do with blue stem grass, but Wyatt's mesmerizing charm drew people in. Even in death, people bought his grass by the poundful. His booth is now run by his wife, Bernard, and sometimes the booth is run by no one at all, because Bernard has better things to do apparently. And customers still come, ready to spend ridiculous amounts of money for grass they don't even know what to do with. My mind was elsewhere, however, as I wandered through the farmer's market. Who was Gert? How does one identify a man who can't remember who he is? And that's when I saw him. Gert. He was stepping out from the Carlson and Carlson's delicious pastry shop, munching on a mince pie. He seemed completely fine, and more importantly, he wasn't in the silo. We locked eyes, and he dropped his mince pie. A damn waste of mince pie this man was up to no good. He bolted, pushing past the flood of pedestrians as though he were attempting to swim upstream. I darted after him, my wild curiosity getting the better of me. Through the crowd and beyond the market, I followed him with impressive speed for a man of my physique. Gert raced across the fields, ravaged by the recent mudstorms, before diving into the dark woods. The sun seemed to vanish entirely the second I entered the woods. There was only night in this place, only darkness. Gert was gone. I turned to head back, but the edge of the woods was no longer where it was when I entered. All around me was nothing but endless forest. The trees seemed to breathe as the wind brought life to their branches. In and out, in and out. The smell of rotten leaves permeated the air. A screech owl whinnied in the distance. I lit a match and the darkness retreated by its light, but only by a few mere inches in front of me. Wandering for a day and an age, I sat beneath a slouching willow and found myself missing the haunting howl of the wild man. At least it would have been something familiar. I hoped they were treating him well in the local jail. The lower my match burned, the closer the darkness approached me and I began to wonder if this is what death feels like an encroaching shadow. Then I started thinking about Karen. Oh Karen, maybe I should have stayed with her even though she cheated on me with that two-timing bastard Jimmy Hawkins. We could have made it work. We could have gone to couples therapy. The sex was wild. The night reminded me of my loneliness and how purposeless my life would be if it weren't for my obituary column. Oh Karen. Just then, my match was blown out by some unforeseen force. I was plunged into an indescribable blackness. Everything became quiet. Not the wheezing chirp of a diseased bird, not a scuttling possum, even the wind had grown silent. Before me appeared a pair of glowing eyes, beautiful and terrifying, perfect circles, swirling irises. I tossed my doused match and took out my phone, turning on the flashlight setting. Despite the direct light, its figure remained a silhouette, but its form took shape. The antlers of a stag, the outline of an elongated face, thin, long, and serene. The stalking hunch of a coyote prepared to attack its prey. My light snapped off and the ground opened up beneath me like a gaping maw, and I felt my body fall and hit a springy surface. I was in my bed. What madness was this? As an obituary writer, knowing the intricacies of life and death is the same as knowing the difference between dreams and reality. And yet something lingered, circling my mind like a piranha in a fishbowl. I felt as though I had just awoken from a nightmare. Dawn broke over the horizon. It was morning, the next morning. In the town square, folks were purchasing their week's worth of groceries. The local butcher was selling his newest and finest selection of meats with the exception of Chester the goat, who he had bonded with and couldn't bring himself to kill. He had looked deeply into Chester's eyes and it felt like home. Denise and Willis, on the other hand, were total goners. That's when I saw Gert again, eating another mince pie. He was calling out for anyone to listen.
6: Hey, everyone, you should check out the abandoned silo down at Hudson's Old Farm. I hear there's some seriously Shady business going down over there.
5: But no one was listening. I got it! It's mine! Someone had just acquired Brindle Blackwell's single apricot, and a brawl had ensued.
6: Hey, everyone! Shut up! Shut up about the farm!
5: Okay. I looked at him, and he looked at me. And he dropped his pie. Another damn waste of mince pie. Who did this man think he was? A man trying to steal the apricot for his own moved in front of me, and by the time he passed, Gert was gone once more. The Hudson's farm was just as I had left it. Peaceful, tranquil, a farmer's paradise. I approached the abandoned silo with an overzealous energy, eager to prove that what I had just seen was real, eager to find Gert missing. I climbed the rungs, clambered across the roof, thrusted my head into the hole at the very top, only to see Gert emerging from a trap door. You. 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 From behind me came a voice, and before I could glimpse who it was, I promptly toppled through the opening, tumbling into the metal tower. I landed right on top of Gert, and the two of us went sprawling. As I came to my senses, I could hear footsteps from the roof, climbing back down the silo. I scrambled to my feet, my eyes adjusting to the darkness, Gert was out cold. Silence. There, the door being unlocked. There before me, with the sawed-off shotgun trained right at my chest, was none other than Wyatt's wife, Bernard. I cannot stress enough that Wyatt's wife's name is Bernard. Her name is Bernard. Her finger hovered over the trigger.
3: You okay, honey bunches
5: No reply from Gert.
3: Hey, I, I know you. You're that obituary writer who came around here last week snooping like you own the place.
5: And your wife's wife? I. And that's. Honey Bunches? Were you cereal enthusiasts?
3: No. We were lovers. Mighty fine lovers at that. Thirteen years I've been waiting to be with this man.
5: Did you. Did you kill your husband?
3: No more than I'm gonna kill you.
5: Are you going to kill me? Yes. So you did kill your husband?
3: Yes, I. I had to, see? He found out about Marion and I. Oh. It would appear Gert's
5: name was Marion. And he got violent.
3: Worse. He had the nerve of being all sweet about it. The man didn't have a bad bone in his body. It was enough to drive you mad. Couldn't something make you angry for once in your damn life? Anything? He offered Marion the guest bedroom and everything. I couldn't take it anymore.
5: So you shot him.
3: Boom. Right in the stomach.
5: So Gert, I mean, Marion was never being held hostage here?
6: Not in the slightest.
5: Marion got to his feet.
6: See, with a reputation like Wyatt's, people might not take too kindly to a broad like Bernard shacking up with some man from the other side of the tracks. Wyatt deserved to be the bad guy for once. Of course, no one bothered to look in the silo except you so they kind of
5: backfired.
3: All right, th- that's enough. He don't need to know none of this. Please. Don't
6: worry, baby, I got this. No!
5: The following events are so intricate, tumultuous, and unnecessarily convoluted that the only way for me to properly explain is from an omnipresent perspective. At the very moment I was staring into the mouth of Bernard's shotgun, contemplating my own mortality, Crestfall Law Enforcement was delivering a consolation pie to the Hudson's residence. Crestfall Law Enforcement has a bushy mustache with flecks of chocolate-glazed donut in its bristled hairs. He walks like a water balloon with legs and smells faintly of old biscotti. Crestfall Law Enforcement knocked on the front door just as Bernard fired her gun, so he did not hear the shot. Meanwhile, time slowed to the trickle of molasses as I watched the next few seconds unfold. Marion approached me from behind, Bernard pulled the trigger I sidestepped, and in went the bullet right into Marion's stomach, right where Wyatt had been shot. Bernard tried to fire her gun again, but the mechanism jammed, creating a tiny spark in the chamber and blowing her hand clean off. Just as Bernard's hand blew off, Crestfall Law Enforcement sneezed. He looked down at his pie.
2: Hmm.
5: Raspberry. He's allergic to raspberry. Why did I buy a raspberry pie, he thought. Worried she would be caught even more red-handed <clears> than <throat> she already was, Bernard ran from the silo and into the fields of blue stem grass. And that is when the Kragmire cannon went off, in recognition of Wyatt's recently deceased goats. The cannonball soared overhead like a marble rolling across the sky. Bernard ran, the cannonball flew. Bernard ran, the cannonball spiraled downwards. And the two met in the clearing. And with that... Bernard's head joined the rest of the cannonballs in the field. Crestfall law enforcement stood on the Hudson's front porch, having seen none of this, but he sniffed the air with a vague sense that something of note just took place. The wild man was released from the local jail, found innocent of the murder of Wyatt Hudson. His assumption had been that he was being arrested for accidentally killing a possum around the time of Wyatt's death, which is why he was so willing to comply with law enforcement his conscience weighing heavily with guilt. He had thought the death penalty was a little harsh. The wild man approached me. Beware the shadow.
6: You've seen it, haven't you, in the dark woods? I can see it in your eyes. Stay away from those woods, please. And uh, one last
5: thing. Mambo Jambo died by the piano patch. <laughs> This unsettling message struck me. I wasn't too sure what the piano patch part had to do with anything, but the beginning of his comment was clear. What I had seen in the forest was real. The wild man threw himself into the bramble and dematerialized into the fog of the dark woods. That night, I returned to the Hudson's home and sat quietly on their deserted porch. Wyatt's splattered blood was fading to a dull brown. In the town square, a processional was being held in honor of Wyatt. Everyone cried in unison like a mournful orchestra. The slapper arrived to confirm he was indeed dead, even though he had been quite dead for several days. Her job is to confirm that the deceased are indeed deceased, charging 60 bucks a corpse to slap them and see if something happens. Nothing has ever happened, but the slapper has managed to become one of the richest people in Crestfall. Everyone crossed their fingers as she slid off her red velvet gloves and brought her hand down upon Wyatt's cheek with enough force to kill him all over again. Nothing happened, so she slapped him again, and again, and again, desperately trying to bring Wyatt Hudson, the most amazing human being to ever grace this godforsaken Earth, back to life. The slapper had to be forcibly removed from the scene because she couldn't stop slapping Wyatt. But alas, she had done her job. Wyatt was dead, and that was that. I believe Crestfall's very own Pastor Jeff said it best in his sermon at Wyatt's funeral. Do you have a drunk drawer at home? I know I do. Filled with uh, toenail clippers, rubber bands, loaves of bread, discarded pens, canned peaches, the complete box set of all eight seasons of the hit television show Lost, hair scrunchies, twine, lefty scissors, 87 cents and change, mostly pennies, a couple times, tickets to the carnival, Dolphin puppets, pictures of your aunt, mayonnaise packets, your friend's mixtape, he claims to be straight fire. Our drawers don't start out full, no, start out empty. Mm. As we move through our days, we fill them up with little bits and bots, accumulated over time. And then we leave them all behind for someone else to clean out. What is that? It's what I call legacy.
4: What kind of legacy are you going to leave? What kind of junk
5: drawer are you going to leave? Have you heard of Jesus? He had a legacy. Took a lot to clean out his junk drawer. A good man. That's who Wyatt Hudson was. Some men are great. Some men want to be remembered for what they have done but perhaps it is better to be remembered for who you are, a good man. The townsfolk would be quieter that day, not because they were thinking about any particular memory of Wyatt, but because they were thinking about Wyatt himself. The ways in which he touched people's lives made them brighter. People cried loudly that morning to mourn his death, but they would be quiet that afternoon so they could give themselves the space without the suffocation of grief to celebrate his life. A pre-dusk breeze moved through the willows, and the leaves chattered softly amongst themselves. The fields of blue stem grass rolled like waves toward some distant shore. Fireflies ignited and vanished on and off, on and off. This is an evening of great significance, I thought to myself, although I wasn't quite sure what that significance was. I sat up straight and fixed my already immaculately knotted tie against my collar. My eyes zeroed in on the dark woods, and I wondered to myself if my experience amongst its trees was better left a memory or a passing dream. This has been an obituary of Wyatt Hudson.
2: This has been Death by Dying, written and directed by Evan Gulak, produced by Nico Gerentis, featuring the voices of Evan Gulak as the obituary writer, Tucker Ramger as Gert and the old hag, Eva Eig as Bernard, Joshua Jordan as Pastor Jeff, and Nico Gerentis as the wild man, apricot winner, Mrs. Shambles Dog, and Chester the Goat. Music composed by Nicholas Gasparini, Kevin McLeod, Mark Alexander, Stephen O'Brien, Naoya Sakamata, and Nico Jarentis. Sound effects courtesy of freesound.org. Creative producer and script editor, Joshua Jordan. Recording engineer and casting director, Nico Jarentis. If any of you kind, gentle listeners would like to send their condolences, comments, hopes, fears, or dreams, You can contact The Obituary Writer personally at theobituarywriter at gmail.com or follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at deathbydyingpod. And remember, if your head is going to get blown off by a cannonball, at least make sure your heart is in the right place.
0: Again, that was Death by Dying, Season 1, Episode 1, Why It Died. Created by Evan Gulak and Nico Jarentis. For more information and news about their upcoming fanfiction livestream, which is open to submissions until June 27th, go to deathbydyingpod.com. And you can hear Death by Dying on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And last but not least, our local friends at It's All Been Done Presents have a few unique tales to tell. IABD has been persisting through the pandemic, switching to online streaming shows once a month in place of their typical live shows, and continuing to tickle our audio ears whenever they can. Tune in for one more live stream show tomorrow, June 12th at 5 p.m. This show, we're checking out It's All Bend Theater with their tale of two princesses. Enjoy.
7: Finally, we are proud to present It's All Bend Theater. Good evening and welcome to
8: its all Been theatre. As always, I am your humble host, your stalwart storyteller, your lyrical lyricist, Sir Hubert Donald Redkin Five from Norwell Esquire the Third. Tonight I bring you the classic tale, Two Princesses. This story has been told countless times with many different variations, but none have brought the narrative to you quite the way I have, and this is the definitive adaptation. And so, without further ado, I present my superior version of the seminal classic, Two Princesses. Our tale starts in a faraway kingdom long ago, with an incredibly handsome and highly eligible prince named Aaron, who will soon be crowned King of Comes. Two princesses, Rose of the kingdom Spindoria and Anna of the land of Whitegrass, have come to woo the lad and marry him to secure their regal futures. Prince Aaron receives them in his royal waiting chamber, away from the prying eyes of the court. Oh, lovely ladies who kneel
9: before me, arise! Yes, arise! That's what I said. Now, what prompts you to travel all this way from your respective domains?
0: Why, well, Princess Rose have come to ask for your hand, dear Prince.
9: Oh. <laughs> How flatteringly forward, Uh, I, uh... Before
0: you answer,
10: most regal, Prince, know that I, too, have come to propose marriage. Mm
9: -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh... I don't know what to say. Not one beauty, but two have presented themselves to me. I am beyond humbled, but oh, how shall I choose between you, each lovelier than the last?
0: Well, Prince, I implore you to look beyond mere superficial appearances.
9: Yes, yes, I intend to. Um, uh, it's only that uh, we've just met, so I have nothing else yet to go by. Perhaps you should call each of us
10: individually on a private outing Mm. so you can learn why I am the better match.
9: I like that idea. Sort of makes a game out of it. Uh, And perhaps the peasants would like to witness such a competition. Uh, you know, for entertainment purposes. And then I may present a rose uh, to the victor. Yeah,
3: I'll play more than just a rose. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
9: <laughs> yes,
8: indeed. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, the extremely handsome prince. Uh, would, would you like um, some
7: help? You know, that, that's what I'm here for. <laughs>
8: Fine, whatever, go ahead. Uh, Just make sure you read the script exactly the way I wrote it.
7: So the prince... (coughs) Oh, fine. So the extremely handsome prince agreed to date each of the princesses in turn over the next two days. First was Princess Anna, who met the prince for breakfast.
1: Actually,
10: it's Anna... My prince, your rise! It is nearly halfway through the day.
9: Pardon, but it could not have been more than quarter hour since the cock did crow, my lady, and and yet here you sit, uh, dressed for the grandest of balls, a, a large seal adorning your jacket. Mm-hmm.
10: I always strive to look my best.
9: Well, you certainly have succeeded, and then some. <laughs> so, uh, what repose shall break our fast this morn? <laughs>
10: I took the liberty of preparing something special. (claps) Servants! Bring the platter!
7: (laughs) A large plate is laid upon the table, carried by two servers struggling under the considerable weight. The lid is lifted to reveal a large pile of diamonds. <laughs> oh, oh, oh
9: yes! Uh, I, I forgot we had invited the people to watch. Um, uh, so, uh, what is this, my lady?
10: Why, your highness, I wanted to demonstrate what I bring to the table. Quite literally, oh. immense wealth backed up by vast lands full of riches and resources to keep you comfortable all your life yet to come.
8: Uh-huh. You gotta do it.
9: You gotta do it. Lock her down. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Uh, uh, but uh, uh, my lady, I am a prince. I already live a life of wealth and luxury.
10: (laughs) Uh, This castle? It is a mere hovel compared to the estate we could construct together.
9: Okay, wow, Princess Anna. If
10: I'm not being too presumptuous, you may refer to me as baby. (laughs)
8: <laughs> it is a
10: term
9: of Baby
10: It is a term of endearment that will soon be quite in fashion.
9: Uh-huh, I shall uh, take your word for it.
10: Go ahead now.
9: Yeah.
7: The rest of the day unfolded in similarly grand fashion, with Princess Anna doing her best to demonstrate the most elaborate of lifestyles the prince wouldn't receive with her. The second date with Princess Rose began in quite a different manner.
0: Aye, my prince, you are just in time rising as I have prepared a delectable spread for
7: you. Oh, it smells as
9: delightful as you are, uh, Princess Rose. Now, uh, what is it?
0: It's a new dish that I've concocted myself. I'll call it eggs scrambled.
9: <gasps> oh my word, you've uh, you've scrambled the over. How bold.
0: You'll find I am such my prince. Enjoy.
9: Oh, but will you not join me, dear princess?
0: I had not intended to.
9: Oh, but I insist, if you want to.
0: All right,
3: then.
7: (laughs) After eating, the pair went for a walk to the castle marketplace.
3: Oh, look, flowers. How lovely. May I purchase you some?
9: Oh, I'm already satisfied with the rose in my company. Aww. Aww. I know I'm good, right?
3: Oh,
2: sire!
9: but my lady <laughs> or whatever is the matter?
3: I must, I must confess something or this. <laughs> uh, I
9: I can imagine no admission that could cause me to favor you less. I-
3: it is merely up in stance and I'm a princess. My kingdom is poor and ridden and I was a chambermaid recently promoted to nearly everyone else that died
0: off. I have no future, no family
9: tree
8: <laughs>
9: oh oh princess rose i- I know what a prince ought to be, but i-i alas am not that. I fear I may be falling for you, and I trust my heart more than some arbitrary lineage.
3: <laughs> but, 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 but if you were to end me, your father would disown you. Yeah, he
9: will. Shut up.
3: Hey. <laughs>
9: my father is too ill to do any such thing. I shall soon be king, and who I marry is my decision, and my decision alone.
3: If you like to tell me, maybe.
9: What I'd like is to talk for hours.
3: Oh,
0: well, go ahead now.
7: (laughs) (laughs) The rest of the date was spent in one another's company, enjoyed getting to know each other. The next day, the prince gathered both princesses together for the rose ceremony, for which he would announce his decision.
9: I would like to start by saying that these past two days were among the best of my life. Getting to know each of you was a rare treat, and it has been a difficult decision to choose twixt between you.
3: My offer. Marry her or marry me.
9: <laughs>
3: I'm the one that loves you, baby, can't you see? Yes, yeah, choose
10: her!
9: Mm. Right. Uh, hang on. As I was saying, it has been most vexing, but I believe I have come to a compromise that will serve all of us. Oh.
10: Oh. Oh. All of us?
9: Yes. I shall marry Princess Anna of the Land of White Grass and keep Princess Rose of the Kingdom Spindoria as my consort. I really
0: thought I was going to choose Rose. Thank you. Pardon?
9: <laughs> well, she has the money and you don't have anything to go back to. This way, I can keep sleeping with both of you uh, so it all works out.
3: Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. Is that
0: even
9: legal? Well, absolutely. This isn't a Christian kingdom or anything.
10: Oh, well, no, it's not.
9: Preach. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs>
10: well,. She's quite comely. Mm-hmm. I'll agree to the, the arrangement on one condition. Oh, ask,
9: ask away, my love.
10: Princess Rose shall be my lover as well. I find a man doesn't always meet all of my <clears throat>
3: needs. Oh. Just me, fine.
9: <laughs> then it shall be so.
3: why wait. Wait, 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 stop. No, 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 no. Yes. No,
2: yes. no, no. no. No, yes. No, yeah. uh, no, Yes.
0: Like I said, yes. I haven't been a royal very long, and I don't know all the va- rules and traditions, And but if, if this is the freaky shit you all get into, I'll go back to being a chambermaid. A chambermaid
10: who sleeps with us? That would make you ever so much more useful.
0: No! <laughs>
3: <laughs> right.
0: hey, hey, come on, come on. Uh,
10: A pity. But as king and queen, I am certain we can find other lovers.
9: Oh, most assuredly. (laughs) I like
8: it.
10: Have a nice trip home, dear. I... uh...
9: (laughs) (laughs) Well, she was a sweet girl, wasn't she?
10: Quite.
8: So that is the two princesses. The moral of this story is that everyone has different sexual preferences. Some more straight-laced than others, and rich people can do whatever they want. But you already knew that, didn't you? Until next time, I've been Sir Hubert Donald Redkin of Norwell Esquire. The third. (laughs) And this is It's Old Bend Theatre. Good night, sleep tight, And listen to the Spin Doctors, they aren't just for the 90s.
7: That's not... (laughs) not
8: just for the 90s.
7: The end.
10: It's All Been Done Radio Hour number 287, It's All Been Theater. Episode number five, Two Princesses. This episode was written by Jerome Wetzel and directed by Nick Argenbright. It starred Dan Kondo as Hubert and Prince Aaron. Alyssa Ryan as Princess Anna, Samantha Stark as Princess Rose, and the rest of the cast as the peasants. The episode was narrated by Darren Essler, and our Foley artist is Seamus Talty. Our technical director is Shane Stefanick. Our music director is Kristen Green. Theme songs are composed by Nathan Haley, with lyrics by Jerome Wetzel, and the podcast is edited by Chris Allen. Check out our website at iabdpresents.com.
0: Again, don't forget to check out iabdpresents.com for more info about their live stream show on June 12th and their upcoming live show in July. And that's it for tonight. We'll be back with all three of these fantastic stories next week. I'm Kathy Ranella signing off. The BBC World News is coming up next. This is 90.5 FM WCBE Columbus and 106.3 FM in Newark. WCBE is a broadcast service of Columbus City Schools.